Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words. You have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 143 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Before we get to this week's interview, a little update of my own. Unfortunately, I'm not starting off 2020 the way I had hoped. As most of you who've been following the show know, I'm coming up on nine years dealing with stage four colon cancer. And last year, learned rather shockingly that I had a recurrence on my liver, which hadn't happened in six years prior to that and found myself back on chemotherapy for the first time in six years. We followed that up with ablation to take care of the tumors on my liver and the follow-up scans in July and October all look good. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case for my most recent scan right after the new year and I found myself back in the chemo chair last Wednesday. To say um, disappointed would be an understatement, but honestly can't say that I'm surprised either. Any of you that are stage four yourself or know people who are know that that's kind of how it goes. And the fact that I'm coming up on nine years makes me, as my oncologist referred to me once, an outlier. And I certainly looked at that as a compliment, but nonetheless, nonetheless, Linda and I are, you know, pretty disappointed. We had... We're hoping to catch a break this year and get more than six months of not having to deal with all this crap and talked about maybe some big travel plans and things like that, which we're still going to do. We're just going to have to modify our plans a little bit to accommodate now being back on the every other week chemo cycle, unfortunately. And I think the part that's really most unsettling is it feels like this is the first time that they're the treatment plan doesn't have like a finite end to it. Previously, it's been, oh, you'll do so many treatments and then we'll do such and such, and such procedure. And this time it's more of, well, let's go back on chemo and see how things react. So that also is a bit unsettling. So heartfelt thank you. Many of you have reached out and offered kind words and words of encouragement and certainly appreciated. And Linda and I certainly appreciate your good wishes, good vibes, good juju, prayers, whatever works for you as we face yet another challenge. Let's talk about this week's guest. And his name is Matt Newman. You can learn more about Matt on his website at matthewsnewman.com. Matthew is a brain cancer survivor and is also the author of the book, Starting at the Finish Line. I know almost every episode I jump on here and talk about the inspiring story and, you know, anybody that's got a cancer story to share can find some inspiration in it. But Matt is probably on another level, I would say. Really enjoyed our conversation, felt a real connection to him, and quickly saw why he's become a sought-after speaker across the country sharing his story. So join me now for my conversation with Matt Newman. 
Matt, thanks for joining me on We Have Cancer. I really appreciate you reaching out to share your story. And, you know, we've all have our own relationship to cancer. Uh, you're a brain cancer survivor, but your first exposure to cancer was when you were young and your grandmother was diagnosed with breast cancer. How did that form your view of cancer as you grew up and later became a patient yourself? It was something I didn't understand. I wasn't old enough. I was about 15 years old. I remember one day she was Grandma Harriet. The next day she was wearing a cancer turban. And the next day she was gone. What I vividly remember was the pain and angst of what it did to my mother. My mother and my grandmother would talk every single day. They were two peas in a pod. Every weekend, I grew up in a town called Parsippany, New Jersey. We're either in our backyard or we're at her backyard in Fairlawn, New Jersey. And I remember this anger and this just, my mom turned into a different person and she cried every day. And, and I wish I could have been there for her. I wish I could have understood it more and digested it and really been there to, to be that rock, that pillar that she needed, but, but I was too young. So it built this hatred up for cancer because I watched what it did to my family and my family had no control in any way whatsoever. And that was my first real relationship or, or dealing with something that was completely out of my control that did what it wanted when it wanted. And then it touched your family again when your father-in-law was diagnosed. Yeah, the, when my father-in-law was diagnosed, my wife and my father-in-law were, were very similar to me and my mom. I was a Jewish guy who grew up in northern New Jersey. Mom was a school teacher. Dad was a financial advisor. My, my wife grew up in a very different situation. My wife grew up in a town called Pottsville, Pennsylvania, which is an old mining country, Pennsylvania. Her father was a highway construction worker. Her mom was a janitor. They grew up in a five, 600 square foot row home. They were amazing people. They were very different. My father liked father-in-law liked to hunt. He liked to fish. He liked to do all these things that I, I would never do. But we both liked to drink a beer and watch baseball. And they were amazing people. And when he was 60 years old on Father's Day in 2010, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And we had two children under three years old. And my wife was pregnant with our third. And she made it her full-time mission to do whatever she needed to do to take care of her father. She would drive him every day 45 minutes down to the University of Pennsylvania Hospital. He would go through a Whipple procedure. He would go through chemo and radiation. What I saw was inspirational. What I saw was real. And what I saw was my father-in-law, Larry, being a warrier. Pancreatic cancer has an 8, eight to 9% survival rate. And it's usually about six months. He told me he had two things he wanted to see. He wanted to see all three of his grandchildren born. And he wanted them to be old enough to have real memories of him to not just look at pictures. And he was a warrior. And then how long after he was diagnosed were you diagnosed? So that happened in 2010, pretty much the summer of 2010. In 2013, May 14th, I was diagnosed with a grade three astrocytoma. And the way it was happened was I was having all these brutal headaches. I speak publicly all over the place. I started having these, what I thought were strokes. I would get this slur and gurgle pouring out of my mouth. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know what was going on. And when it would last five to six seconds, and I would kind of get myself together and be like, all right, let's go. And it would happen when I was working out, when I was running, I would get these hot flashes. And on May 14th, 2013, my wife is taking my father-in-law down for chemotherapy. She was at a place called the King of Prussia Mall shopping in between. And I had my 11th, what I consider a stroke. And I drove to the hospital, met my wife in Hopewell, New Jersey at a place called Capital Health. We walked in together. They gave me a CAT scan. 
They told me I had a massive lesion right here, which I thought was a cut or a bruise. I'd been in a car accident. I thought I banged my head. They told me it was causing massive pain, no ability to sleep, and I wasn't having strokes. I was having seizures. I wasn't that upset by this. I was like, that's the deal. Diagnose it, fix it. Let's make it go away. And I went through MRI after MRI after MRA. At 3 o'clock in the morning, Rebecca said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to make lunch for the kids who are all under five. And I'm going to get my dad a ride to go down to chemotherapy. I'll be back in an hour. So they told me I had to go in and get an MRI, an MRI with contrast now for the last one to figure out what everything is going to be. So they come in, they bring a wheelchair, and I'm like, I don't need the wheel, wheelchair. I just did the Broad Street run eight days ago, did a tough mutter not too long ago. Beast mode. I got this. They're like, it's li- <laughs> liability, Mr. Newman, you got to get in the wheelchair. So I get in the wheelchair knowing I have this lesion. And a nurse comes up behind me and she grabs the clipboard and she goes, all right, Mr. Newman, MRI, MRA, We've got to do it with contrast. We have to see how big your brain tumor is. And that was the moment at 39 I was diagnosed with brain cancer. So it was a misunderstanding of the definition of the word lesion. It's a great way you just put that. I call it the vernacular. To the doctors in their community, I have no fault. They were speaking their language. My wife knew when she came back. She called a friend of ours who's a, a, an amazing doctor up at Columbia Presbyterian. He's godfather of one of my children and one of my best friends. And he told her. He told her what that meant. So I have no it's, – it's like a mechanic talking in his language or a financial advisor talking in his. I don't think they were giving any misinformation. I just – I just don't think they perceived that I took it as, oh, it's like a bruise or a cut. Okay, we could fix that. Because you had that car accident. Yeah. That's exactly right. I was in a car accident uh, January of that year on an icy, snowy day in Bridgewater, New Jersey. And I walked out without a scratch on my body. The airbag went off. The car was totaled. But I kept thinking from all the pain that I was dealing with, I probably banged my head and don't remember it. So when they said lesion, my first thought was, ah, probably nailed my head, that car accident. That's probably what it was. Interesting point. So what was your reaction when you heard those words? It was the reality is when you hear you have brain cancer, you think you're going to die. So they brought me back in the booth and or the tube, I should say, and my, my, my head was all over the place. And they brought me back into my room and they hooked me up to about 30 different machines. And I just started to, I started to cry. And I started to have retrospective on my life. And I started to think about my children. I had a two-year-old, a three-year-old, a five-year-old. And I started to think about my family and I started to think about my father-in-law and strength is not how big your arms are. Strength is not how much you bench press. Strength is something that's deep down in our bellies that at the deepest and darkest of times, we can find it, we can grab it and we can own it. I saw it, I grabbed it and I just started cursing my brains out and the nurses come running in and they go, oh my God, Mr. Newman, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. My pity party was over. If I was going down, I was going down swinging. And I didn't know I had that in me, but I remember the minute I saw it and it was, this is mine. This is my journey. Cancer is just along for the ride. I'm not turning it over. There was an interesting quote in your TEDx talk, Matt, and I just would like for you to just kind of talk about where it came from. And you were very firm in your words, I guess is the best way I could say it. And you said, cancer is not going to be your legacy you were going to be your legacy. What did you mean by that? We define our legacies. If if we turn our legacies over to the disease, the disease takes over. The diseases, they might take us physically. There's some diseases we could beat, there's some we can't. They can never take us spiritually. We could always be there in some form for the people we love and our families. But our legacies, we own that. I own the way that I will be remembered, the, the dignity and the independence that I will take into my fight. 
if the minute I give that over, you're remembered as the cancer guy. You're remembered as the this person. And that's something cancer may take a lot from us, but that's something I will never give it. As I'm listening to you say this, I'm looking up on my wall and I've got a picture of Jimmy V. It says, don't give up, don't ever give up. But the line before that, that. in his speech when he won the, the ESPY award was something along the line of, you know, cancer may take my body, but it will never take my heart. It will never take my soul. And, and it's just the aligns with what you just said. Yeah. It's uh, and, and sometimes you say things because you start to look at life differently. And I use the term a lot of very quickly. I was wearing a new set of lenses. I started to have an appreciation for the now and the moment that we were in. And that's something I was taking from cancer. It wasn't going to take my legacy and whatever I could take from it, I was going to take rather than just sit there with regret, resentment and negativity because that was going to get me nowhere. So that takes me to how, how is Matt today different from the Matt before the diagnosis? I try to never give back the lessons that I learned. I think I was pretty good before the diagnosis. When I was having retrospective on my life, I was looking at, I must have done something to bring this on. That must have happened. Where I think, where I think I'm a lot different is one perception. I used to believe in an irony. I don't believe in irony any longer. I think things happen for a reason. It's not my place to tell anybody else what to think, but there's no way I got in a car accident that had absolutely nothing to do with my brain and all of a sudden, all the symptoms I dealt with kicked in that day. I just don't think that's a coincidence. I think that happened for a reason. So I think I became better at appreciating life, like I said, living in the now. But the best lesson I took was that a lot of what we do, we look through our own eyes. We look through our perspective. I have an appointment. I have to get here. I have to do that. I got to go talk to this person. It's okay to look through your kid's eyes sometimes and see what you're leaving them. And I learned an amazing lesson that I will never, ever give back, which is that the time I spend with my children has to be their time, not my time. What do you mean by that? I mean, so I'll give you a point. So I go to my son's five-year-old picnic five days after surgery. My wife says, you're all beat up. You don't have to go to this. And I'm looking at life differently. I'm seeing you know, an appreciation for, for, for that moment. I said, I wouldn't miss this in a million years. And what my son was having at his Pennington Montessori school was a five-year-old lunch where they do a half hour Father's Day lunch. You come over the brown bag lunch, you sit in the back, you sit in the, in the outside area, you sit with your child for 30 minutes, then you leave. So we, I walk in and I am rainbows and unicorns and, Luke, and I have a hat on because I have a second head and Luke runs over and he gives me a big hug and he goes, thanks for coming, dad. And I'm wiping the tears from my face. I'm just so happy to be there. This is, this is our time. We own this. And we walk in the backyard and I look up and every dad is sitting next to his son on the ground with a brown bag lunch. And every dad was staring at their iPhone. How did I know that? How did I know that was going to be what you were going to say? And let me tell you what I said to myself. Holy shit, that was me. That was me. I had a BlackBerry and an iPhone at that time. I had no anger, no animosity towards anyone in there. That was me. But I was taking this from cancer. My phone that day was in my wife's car because I couldn't drive. And there's a part of me going, I had to go through this to learn that for 30 minutes. I couldn't make it about my son instead of teaching him that, it's okay to not worry about the person you're with and just focus on the electronics in your hand. 
and I'll never give that lesson back. That's powerful. As your health started to come around and things started to improve, sadly, that was not the case from your, for your father-in-law. How did you process that? And here you were with a brain tumor getting better. And at the same time, he was going in the other direction. Yeah, it's funny. We were like a scale. As I started to get better and better, he started to go the other way. But I looked at life differently. I didn't look at him as a cancer patient. This is the way it was. And as he started to get worse and worse, I knew where it was going. And so did my wife. So he was in Hershey Hospital. And we took my three kids out to say goodbye to their, to their grandfather. And he was still coherent. He was still able to talk, but we knew where this was going. About three weeks later, me and my wife drove out to mining country, Pennsylvania, to say goodbye to her dad. And when we got out there, he weighed 75, 80 pounds, couldn't talk, couldn't walk. All he could do was flutter his eyelids. My wife said goodbye to her dad and ran out crying. I looked at him. I said, Larry, I'm in the position I am because of you. This all happened for a reason. You showed me the way to be a warrior. You're my cancer partner. You're good. I got this. You'll, you'll leave us physically, like I said earlier. You'll never leave us spiritually. But you don't need to live like this anymore. I'm here to tell you that I got this. And you don't have nothing to worry about. He passed away two hours later. There's no doubt in my mind he was waiting to say goodbye to me and hand everything off. And because of what we had been through together, I wasn't that sad because he meant so much to me and showed me so much. And he was always going to be with me that I... Again, I looked at it through a different set of lenses. Of course, I was upset that he wasn't there, but to me, he's he's always going to be there. So I think us going through that together prepared me much differently for the inevitable, and I was okay with it because he didn't need to be like that physically any longer. Be sure to stick around to the end of this episode to learn how you can get your rear in gear. You know, you really touched on the power of words here, Matt. And it's a number of years ago since I interviewed Tom Zuba. And Tom is a known authority on grief. And Tom speaks so passionately about the power of words. And that when we, someone close to us dies, saying, using words like lost and gone and things like that versus what you just said. They left here physically, but he'll always be here. And the difference of how that helps you process when someone dies is so incredibly powerful. Your view, what you just shared about Larry versus those people who, you know, we, and we all do it, you know, we lost so-and-so today, right? Well, that's kind of up to you. We lost them physically, but if we can take the lessons learned and their memory and, and, and think of them and say their name every day, in a way they still can be with us. That, that is a wonderful point. And change does two things. Change breeds complacency or change breeds opportunity. If I was complacent with what I went through, I wouldn't have shifted my thoughts. I wouldn't have shifted my perspective. I wouldn't have welcomed some of the change that was coming because I looked at it as, well, this is the way it's going to be. I could take from it or it could take from me. I don't think I would have been the same before that. 
it's after we went through it, I understood it much better. And I welcome that as opposed to pushing it off and trying to keep everything like it used to be. I didn't know I could do that. But there comes where there's a line in the sand and you can make a choice. And I remember it saying that, well, this is the way it's going to be. So I'm going to take advantage of it. When you and I were chatting before we hit the record button, we got to talking about our beliefs, and I'll use the word our because I absolutely subscribe to it as well, that that things absolutely happen for a reason. And and you shared a story uh, when you were down in my neck of the woods. Would, would you share that again? Because I think there's, there's, there's so much there and so much to think of about how uh, when you're in the cancer space, you know, the power of community and, and connecting. Yeah, so one of the things I found is that cancer is like, it's like buying a car. You buy a car, you leave the lot, you see the car everywhere. Well, the reality is the car was always there. You just never noticed it until there was a connection. It became personal to you. That's what happened with me and cancer. I had heard about it, seen it here and there, went through it with my grandmother and my father and, you know, all this other stuff. Then when it happens to you, I noticed it affects every family in some way or another. So one of the things I do is after I wrote my book is I started speaking all over the country and it was unexpected. I didn't think that. I wrote my book for myself. It was cathartic for me. I never expected to be a bestseller to do TED Talks and do all this stuff. So I was down in the Tampa area and I was giving a speech. And what I would often do is it takes a lot out of you when you give them because you're connecting with people. You're letting them know they're not alone on their journey. And anybody who wants to talk to you after, I will sit there and talk all day because for me, the catharsis was writing about it, talking about it. Part of the, one of the reasons I love it is because there's always going to be that deep in your belly fear and anxiety from what's going to happen next. And my catharsis became getting it off my chest. So what I didn't realize when I first started all this was that it's exhausting after doing that because you're not only going to get it out for yourself, but you want to help everybody else and you feel this obligation. So I went to a restaurant that you told reminded me the name Jackson's. And I walked over there and I always have a headset in as I just want to chill out, grab something to eat. And I'm very comfortable going to bed at 9.30, 10 <laughs> o'clock and waking up at 5 a.m. and hitting the gym. That's what I do all the time. So I go over there and I'm sitting next to this these two women that are having dinner together at the bar. And there was a basketball game on. So I just had a headset on. I was listening to music and you know watching the game. And they come up to me and they go, uh, I have to go to the bathroom. Do you mind um, – do you mind watching my stuff? Make sure nobody puts a roofie in it. And I take my headset off. I go, what? She goes, I'm just joking. I'm going to the bathroom. We watch my stuff. I go, yeah, of course. Absolutely. So she comes back. She says, thank you. And one of the things I do when I speak is I sign a lot of books. I don't sign them as an autograph. I write messages to people, to friends and family members of theirs that are going through something to give them some type of inspiration and let them know they're not alone. That's our warrior community, as I call it. And she says, Oh, are you reading that book? I got, uh, you know, I, I actually wrote it. I'm writing a message to someone that I, before I leave tomorrow. And that's when she told me that that was her first day of chemotherapy. And I ended up staying for an hour, talking to her, talking to her about strength, talking about appreciating her family. And I probably get a text message from her every week. And that started to balloon. What I noticed that my catharsis, again, like I was saying, to talk about it, to get it out, what I know is that most people who've been through negative times, whether it's cancer, other diseases, or bad things, they generally only want to talk about it with someone who's been through it to say, we're, we're in this together. And that's where I fear a lot, of, a lot of us have an obligation and why podcasts like this are so important to let people know you're not alone on your journey. There's a lot of us there. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and like you and I mentioned before, it's probably the most common theme of feedback that we get with the podcast is that, hey, you know, thank you for helping me realize that I'm not the only one going through what I'm going through and that I too am, am not alone, right? It's humbling, isn't it? Really it really is. It really is. How's your health today? My health's good. And so what's interesting is when I went, I went through chemo, I went through radiation. It's tough, chemo and radiation. I remember, I'll never forget, I went in day 10. They told me I was going to have to go on chemo and radiation. I had already started working out. I, I'm a big believer that health and fitness helped me dramatically get through you this. You and me both. I got operated. Yeah, I got operated on a Friday. I went home on Sunday. There is no question in my mind that being in good shape, we have to take those tests to get out of the hospital. I was like, get me out of here. Get, get me home. So, and I've always been a, a fitness fanatic, which I now think happened for a reason, but when I started to leave and when I started to go home, I was on chemo and radiation. So I took my first round of chemo and I was like, oh, I got this. I'm tough. I was put in my place very quickly. <laughs> oh yeah. I was, I was really made aware of the severity of it and that was the low dose side. So I would take that. I had to take a drug called Keppra for anti-seizures, which was terrible. And I've always been a non-medicine person. I try to put nothing in my body. I, I, I understand that there's a generation of my fathers that thinks that medicine cures illnesses and makes everything you know all, all great. I don't even like to take Advil. I try to put. I try to do nothing. So I wanted to get off the medication as fast as I can. When I finished chemo and radiation, I was off the Keppra. I was off everything. I can tell you, I've never taken a single pill since then. It does get confusing sometimes. There's a lot of people I know who have been through what I've been through. They had grade three astrocytoma, which is most likely going to grow back. And they tell me that every time I go get my tests, which I'll be at in a few weeks. But I know most people have some type of issue. Mine was on the left frontal lobe of my brain, which is speech and memory, which was causing the seizures that I was having, causing those hot flashes or whatnot. But most of the people that I deal with have some issue they're still dealing with. I don't have any. And there's a part of me that thinks a lot about that sometimes, like, why, why am I okay? I am well aware that it was aggressive. I am well aware that I have to go for an MRI. Now every five months, it used to be every three and four, so my first five-month one. And they let you know, hey, listen, there's a good chance it can grow back. I remind the doctors, I always leave that part out. They don't have to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, I got it the first time. Let me kind of do my, yeah, let me kind of do my yeah. thing. But I've really had relatively no side effects. And that's provoked thought in me of, Everything else I see out there, like, how did I pull this off like this? So it, it, it does make me appreciate and also wonder, why me? Yeah, you know, I'm right there with you because, sadly, we've lost three former ah, – see, I just used the word lost – but three former guests of the podcast that have passed away since mid-August, where you and I are recording this middle of October – and three former guests of the show that have passed away and all three, four years in. And certainly I've had more, more recurrences than I can count, but here I am eight and a half years in and I'm asking myself the same thing. Why have I made it to, you know, soon to be nine years and so many people haven't been able to get past three or four. I'll tell you what's interesting too, for you saying that. I never thought about it that much until I'd say the last year. The last year it started to hit me because the more you get into these cancer communities and you just try and lend support, you're not looking for anything. You just want to help any way you can. You can't not have that 
I don't deal with that. I don't deal with that. Huh. You know, I get these messages, hey, man, how many operations have you had? I had a major craniotomy. They had to pull my head off and do all the... How many times did you have to go in for that? Just once. Then I find people that have gone in three times, four times, five times. And in the last year, I've definitely started to shift my perspective to more of this is happening for a reason that I, I don't totally understand yet. But I'm very lucky to be in the position that I am. And that could change at any given moment, which helps me appreciate the time that I have. I am too. And, and Linda, my wife, and I still say to this day, because we've during this eight and a half years, uh, we got engaged, we got married, uh, kids married, and you know all kinds of great things have happened to us. And despite the cancer, these have been the best eight and a half years of my life. I think you look at life differently. I do. I think, I think there's things we didn't, and I don't try to put words in anybody else's mouth, sure. but I think there's things that just kind of blew over you that now you kind of stop and think about it. I'll, I'll tell you a, a journey that I was on, and I say this to the doctors all the time. I wish my surgeons weren't so good. And they look at me and they go, what the hell are you talking about? I go, if you look at, and you could see it on video here, I have a scar that goes all the way like this. You can barely see it. Yeah, I see I a little bit. Shave, a little bit. A little bit. I, you can see a right little there. over yep. here. I have to shave. If I shave my head, you see a huge C that goes all the way around. I tell them I wish I could see it every single day. They look at me and go, what are you talking about? I go, I want every time I get in a bad mood, every time I get irritated, I want to look in my rear view mirror and go, calm down. Mm. Life is pretty good. So I actually did something about it, if you want me to share that with you. Uh-huh. So when I started doing social media, I started putting out like my thoughts and my perspective. And like I told you, I did it for myself. I did it to make me feel good. I didn't expect anybody to care, read it, look at it, whatever. And all these people started following me and reading this stuff. And I had 20,000 people following emails I was sending out in this community that we built. And I did it for myself. Let me make that clear. That became my catharsis. So one day, I'm about to put this quote on, and a friend of mine sends me a picture of a lion. He goes, dude, you got the heart of a lion, man. You got to start using these pictures. Can I speak freely on here, by the way? I don't want to have to rate it explicit, so. Okay, so I'll clean it up for you. <laughs> on one day, I'm sitting there and I'm putting this quote together because it's making me feel better. And I'm like, I think I'm going to put it on that picture of a lion. And I've always said this is my journey. Cancer is just along for the ride. And look at this picture of a lion, and the lion goes, you know, I'm the king of the jungle. If you don't like it, I'll just rip your head off. And I'm like, ah, kind of like that lion right there. It's got a little, so I put that quote on there. And it just took off. And, I, and for some reason, it resonated with me. And I was like, heart of a lion, fight of a warrior. That's what we have in us. So because they couldn't do the scar, I went up to Soho up in New York, and I had my whole shoulder done in a lion. And I had my whole forearm done in a warrior. And there we go. All right, now we're talking there. So we get, I'm going to show you on the So, we got so that, our listeners can't 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 see that we're we're sharing tattoos uh, on, the, right. on the screen here. So And my wife doesn't really like tattoos, but I did it for me. I can't. And I'm I'm so glad you just showed me that. And and the rationale behind that was every time I love it. Every time I look at it, you know what I think? Appreciate life. 
You never know what's going to happen. So I've got the colon cancer star, and the quote, ca- the quote came from one of the guests on the podcast, a woman who I consider a dear friend, though we've never met. She lives in Hawaii. Her name is Don Iker, and she's been on the show twice. And in the second interview, I was asking her something about, you know, what advice do you have for people who are going through this? And she went through a number of things, and then she said, and finally, fight like hell. So because of Dawn, I have fight like hell as, as, my, as my tattoo on my shoulder. I love and it. And that came from one of my guests. And then this is the logo to the show. Those are my wife and I's handprints. I love it. And, and I know you're Jewish, so I don't know if you could read Hebrew, but we just got two weeks ago right below I that. I don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Hebrew word ahava, which is Hebrew for love. I, I love it, and it changes, and it, and it gives you reminders, and it lets, it allows you to share your story. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, just as we're talking here, if you want to hear a crazy story. So I reached out to a guy up in Manhattan who's one of the top guys in Manhattan, and I've been going to these, I'm going to do this, I want it to be done right because it's my story and it means something to me. So I've had these two great guys do these two for me. So I reached out to this guy in Manhattan, I said, hey, listen, I'm a I'm sorry, what? I didn't see what the second one was. Uh, and, oh. and for our listeners, thank you for humoring uh, Matt and I as we share yeah. tattoo stories. So that's a warrior. That, oh, wow. Okay. And that's, that's the, the heart of a lion, the fight of a warrior. So I reached out to this guy and I said, listen, I'm telling my story. It's for myself. I'm a brain cancer survivor. He says, so we're going back and forth. And I didn't think he was ever going to respond to me. He's got 150,000 people following him on Instagram. He writes me back. I am not making this up. He goes, you inspired me. I'm going to do a gift for you at no charge. It's going to be my art, my everything. You come up to Manhattan, November 22nd. I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going, oh, my God, it's amazing. I can't believe we're going to do that. We connected. Three days later, he reaches out to me. He said, do you mind if I give your your number to my business partner? I said, no. Why? What's going on? That morning, his mom got diagnosed with brain cancer. She got operated on this past Monday. I've been in contact with him every day, just reaching out, checking in. Changes your perspective of irony, doesn't it? Wow. Wow. Can't make, can't make that up. You can't. Well, Matt, this has been exceptional. You've inspired me, and uh, I know that you're going to inspire those who get a chance to listen to your story. So I really appreciate you initiating this and reaching out to me. First, above anything else, continue good health. You too. Uh, you know, above everything else. And thank you for making a difference, not just in the cancer community, but in every community that you get to spend some time in because i know you do i appreciate you having me it means so much and like i said we are a family of warriors so anything we could ever do to help out it's absolutely our obligation and our pleasure be well my friend you do the colon cancer coalition's slate of get your rear and gear events ramps back up again starting next month with the first event taking place on Sunday, February 23rd in Tucson, Arizona at Omni Tucson National Resort. The following weekend, the 5K Run Walk and Kids Fun Run event finds its way to Austin, Texas at Camp Mabry. 
This is at Texas National Guard. On Sunday, March 1st in San Antonio, Texas at Morgan's Wonderland. On Saturday, March 7th, we have a number of Get Your Rear and Gear events taking place. The 5K Run Walk event taking place in Raleigh, North Carolina at Wake Med Soccer Park, as well as in Savannah, Georgia at 225 Candler Drive. There is another Get Your Rearing Gear event. This is the Runs for Buns Ski event, which is taking place at the Beach Mountain Ski Resort. Proceeds for this and all other Get Your Rearing Gear events go to benefit the Colon Cancer Coalition. You can learn more about these events by visiting their website at coloncancercoalition.org. Thank you for listening to We Have Cancer, and thank you to our sponsor, the Colon Cancer Coalition, for your support. You can subscribe to We Have Cancer by visiting Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, or Spotify. And you can find us on social media by visiting our Facebook page at We Have Cancer Show and at We Have Cancer Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. We Have Cancer is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.